This is U.S. Research Software Engineer Stories, coming straight at you from USRSC, the U.S. Research Software Engineer Association. I'm Vanessa Socket, and this is RSE Stories. Today, I'm joined by Chris Stembia, who is finishing up his graduate student career at Stanford and has worked quite a bit on developing and managing software for his lab. I'm particularly excited because Chris's experience is very similar to mine and represents a particular kind of life experience that I think is shared by many, finishing up graduate school and then being presented with a fairly limited scope of options for next steps. So Chris, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and how working on software has shaped your decision making? Tell us your story. Uh, thanks, Vanessa. I'm excited to be chatting with you. So yeah, I, I actually chose my research lab because they have a big software project and I knew going into grad school that I wanted to work on a big software project. And so I was fortunate to be able to work in this lab the lab is the Stanford Neuromuscular Biomechanics Lab, and we develop a project called OpenSim, which is an open source tool that is used by researchers in our field across the world. And so it's a really unique experience to be able to contribute to a big project like that during my grad school career. In your lab, is it just the graduate students working on software? My lab is fortunate to have staff programmers that typically focus on developing the software. It's not really the task of grad students to work on the software. I still had the opportunity to work on the software a lot, and it was something I was really interested in, and I, I was really grateful for that. It can feel kind of lonely being in this role because it's not common, and you kind of feel like, oh, um, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not doing research as much as I should be. So I was excited a few years ago when I learned about the UK group of research software engineers, and something that was exciting to see was that they would post jobs uh, in the UK, and I wasn't interested in jobs in the UK, but it was just neat to see that universities were hiring people for roles that they considered research software engineers. So you mentioned that when you entered graduate school, you knew that you wanted to work on a big software project. Arguably, some students coming in know for sure that they absolutely love research, while others know that they love doing something that's around research, such as software engineering. And maybe there's a third category that has no idea and just hopes that they'll figure it out. So would it be true to say that when you entered graduate school, you had identified yourself as one of these people that like to do something else around research? Yeah, I think I also, uh, it took me a, a while actually to understand the difference between engineering and science. My undergraduate research was really more about like engineering or, or like technology development and creating simulation tools, not so much about like trying to have the main goal of answering a scientific question or discover knowledge that we didn't have before. So uh, when I joined my current lab, that was kind of a shift I had to make. And do you think there's sort of a symbiotic relationship between engineers and scientists, for example, in a lab or at a university? Yeah, I do think so. And I, I mean, scientists need tools that enable them to work fast. I also think that creating tools can have a very big impact I think we often think about scientific impact in terms of like having a really key finding, but when you develop a tool that a lot of people use, that's a great way to have a lot of impact. And it's one of the key ways that our lab has had impact. You don't necessarily end up with like a, a key bit of new knowledge, but you enable a bunch of researchers to pursue their research questions much more easily. 
So if tools are essential and some labs don't have a layer of software engineers, is it the responsibility of the researchers to also act as software engineers? I think it can be tough for individuals to work on both the engineering and science simultaneously, because sometimes technology development takes a long time, but it actually is important to keep the, the end user in mind. And, and often that case in research is people trying to answer scientific questions. One thing that's, that I've been fortunate in my lab is that because we have this big software project, we invite users of our project to campus a few times a year. We invite these researchers to, to campus and we help them with their projects. And so once a year, I, I would meet these researchers from other schools and they'd have a question they wanted to answer and they would try to use our software to answer those questions. But it was clear that the tools we had weren't exactly the best fit. They would have to kind of use workarounds or it would just wouldn't be straightforward to use our existing tools to answer their questions. An interesting point that you just made me think of is that if you're a graduate student or an RSC, your users, the community of people that you're developing for is really sort of embedded where you are. For example, if you're in a lab, you never have to worry too much about having interesting questions and problems to solve because that's sort of what the lab exists to do. Whereas you can imagine in industry, you may have some kind of product that you're trying to develop, but you probably have to leave your company to find the users and heck, then you might still get it wrong just because the avenue of communication between developers and users isn't as strong. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. It gets back to a little bit about what you were saying about synergy between engineering and science. It's important, I think. A PI can choose how diverse their lab is. So I've been fortunate that my PI cares about making sure that the lab has some students interested more in methods development and some students who really just want to apply existing methods and answer a scientific question. So it sounds like it's the responsibility of the PI, given that there isn't some sort of layer of software engineers that can help to really balance the lab, to decide the students to bring in, the postdocs to hire. Do you think that this is fair? Is it an extra burden or responsibility on the PI? Um, because if they do it wrong, the functioning of the lab won't be as potentially good as if they did it right? Yeah, I think the, the PI has maybe one of their most important roles there is in who they choose to bring into the lab. But I think maybe the majority of that responsibility falls on maybe the more senior members of the lab to make sure that when they onboard new students that they're making sure that they use best practices and kind of the culture that the members of the lab propagate between each other. What about the responsibility for knowing how to program? Has that changed over time? And is now programming an essential ingredient to being a scientist altogether? Oh yeah, programming and computer science is kind of more like statistics where it's not necessarily its own field, but it's like something that all fields need. I think computer science and, and software started off more as its own field, but you know, over time it's, it's seeping into everything. Over time, it'll be part of everyone's standard toolkit. Uh, and then there's cultural, the cultural part of that. Over time, of, of course, we're relying more on computational tools to automate our workloads, to make our tasks more efficient, and also to conquer bigger questions and bigger problems. And then at the same time, there's a shift towards open science that's created this pressure to share those codified workflows. So in 10 years ago, you wouldn't have this expectation to share your software, so you could be sloppier about it. That probably well explains why when there was a transition from not sharing your code to sharing your code, that it was really scary for some folks. It was this entirely new paradigm of doing science. 
you know, with with more technology comes kind of greater responsibilities. Also, it doesn't it doesn't just make our lives easier. It also increases our responsibilities now that we have more capabilities. So, institutional support is key here. I think universities stand to benefit if they can help students across the university publish in a way that's reproducible and follows principles of open science, especially because that kind of stuff isn't taught in classes and you either learn it because you're really curious about it and, and driven to know that stuff, but it shouldn't only be those people who get to benefit from best practices with uh, research science software. To summarize what you're saying, this is sort of a Q Spider-Man sort of moment with, with greater technology comes greater responsibility. And this falls on both the institution and the student. You, yeah. But for a second, let's focus on the idea that part of the responsibility does fall on the institution. How would you like to see institutions change either with respect to resources or services that they provide to take on this responsibility to make it easier for students to learn and to use best practices? I mean, the university has a, maybe a responsibility, but more so than that, stands to benefit from accelerating the research capabilities of researchers across the university. One thing that has been, I think, somewhat successful is the statistics department at Stanford has office hours for any researcher to come in and get help with their research questions. One common issue with that is people uh, do their study and then come to the office hours afterwards, to learn how to... Uh... How they should have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's unfortunate that people maybe don't go to the statistics office hours before starting their project. Something like that would definitely be useful. There's a lot of, I think, reinventing the wheel. You know, there's lots of questions that we could benefit from uh, sharing ex experience with. There's questions about testing our software, how to pay for that testing, given limited research budgets. There's a big question that I think we could all use more clarity on is how to manage open source licenses, how to choose licenses, who the copyright holders are. Uh, I think we could have more clarity in areas like that. Agreed. And you're really touching on something that I noticed during graduate school, that basic functions like testing, licensing your code, setting up continuous integration. As researchers, we were on our own to figure it out and set it up. And in a way, companies like GitHub or CircleCI or any company out there that offered a free tier for helping with this testing and then licensing were really game changing in the scientific ecosystem. But I'm not sure if this experience was unique to me or perhaps a small subset of researchers. So I'm interested to ask you, in your experience, who do you think benefits the most from this kind of help? I think there, there's two maybe groups of researchers that could benefit from help. Some labs have staff that they already know continuous integration and, and how to write tests, but maybe they need help with how to manage projects, maybe with agile software development techniques. Um, and then, so, and then I think another group that could be helped are the more people with less experience in terms of good scientific software practices, maybe more younger students. And I don't think any student, especially in fields that are maybe less technical, maybe more in biology where they're using software, but the students don't have a lot of training in software. I think it'd be great if the university had services where those students could either go to office hours or if they need more than that, they could work in a more long-term relationship with people at the university that, that had that experience. You mean software engineers at the university? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
And you mentioned another thing that is kind of interesting. A lot of learning, whether it be best practices or actually performing some task, is really about communication. You've talked about communication within the lab, how that's really important, but there's also this level of communication that extends beyond the lab, maybe to other labs on campus or to open source communities that are developing similar software. But the interesting thing is that, at least it, it seems currently, the link between a lab and these other communities is the sole responsibility of the lab. So now imagine that there's this layer of research software engineers across the university that not only hold a base of knowledge in their head, they can also easily foster communication channels between labs at the university or between labs at other universities or or even between labs and open source communities. It's, it's like there's this network of people with expertise in software engineering that already exist locally, but if we were to just raise them up a bit and really support the role, we could really strengthen the national or heck, even international connections that communicate about research and tools. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. As any mature software project, we have tons of things we want to do with our code base. The percentage of those that are about real methods development and about really driving technology forward that's really relevant to enabling you us to answer new scientific questions is it's a small percentage. It's often hard to bring those high up in priority. If there was if there could be some resource or service sharing across the university where people could pitch in in terms of that kind of work, that's you know generic. It's not specific to any domain. It's just software engineering. I think that that could help a lot. I totally agree that that it could help a lot. You've you've been hinting on a lot of challenges for developing software in academia and I, I want to ask the question that's the elephant in the room for a lot of graduate students, and that is finishing up your career and needing to make some choice between academia and industry, dun dun dun, have you thought about this yet? Yeah, so I plan to work in industry, but for a very long time, my ideal role was to be like a staff researcher in a lab similar to mine developing scientific software. and. It's something that a lot of people are interested in, but it's a really hard decision to make because one reality is there's a, a difference in pay between industry and academia. Another is that if you go into industry, there's a career development path where in university, you're either a PI or your staff and you don't really have a, a way to develop your career. I think you're spot on. There is interest for working in research at a university outside of the traditional roles but those kind of career paths simply don't exist and they kind of really need to exist. So Chris, for example, if, if there were an engineering role that a university could carve out that had prospects for training and growth and it was challenging and perhaps even had a little job security, would this have changed your decision-making? Yeah, it would, made a lot, it would make it a lot more tough <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's something that would be appealing to a lot of people. Do you think that having this other option could possibly improve mental health, which we know isn't great for the average graduate student? Or on the flip side, just having a strong, clear message that, yeah, going for a PhD and then deciding to work at a company is an okay thing to do. You are not a bad person for making that decision. One thing is that a lot of people feel a stigma towards being in a PhD program and then realizing maybe they don't want to go into academia and they feel like, oh, if I get a PhD, I'm supposed to go into academia. I think it has to be a completely normal expectation that, that a PhD can be for industry too. Yeah, part of it is feeling like you're an other or a minority or that you're not 
a real grad student or something like that because you don't want to become PI. It's kind of interesting that at a university in a research setting where we value creativity and experimentation and trying out different things and evolving you know, the state of our knowledge, it's a little ironic given that, that a lot of the structure of academia is kind of rigid and isn't very open to experimentation. It would be great to acknowledge how the way research is being done is evolving because we have great software tools that can accelerate research, but that our institutional structures aren't really evolving. Okay, so let's acknowledge it then. Hey, academic institutions, we need to expand the structure of roles that exist within a university because not having research software engineers or having them on soft money can actually be detrimental to the science itself. Chris, just like you said, the technology is evolving and the policy around it needs to as well. Yeah, I think I agree with you for sure. An exciting way to maybe change the structure of institutions is for funding bodies to provide grants for technology maintenance and technology, more technology development. I know that NSF might have had some grants that you could apply for for software maintenance, and I think that's exciting because that would allow labs to apply for those grants and then create positions for those kinds of roles. Would there still, though, be an issue about the longevity of those roles since grants usually run out after a certain number of years? Yeah, that's true. That same issue exists for research staff. You know, companies need to make sure they're profitable all the time, every quarter. Labs, I think, are fortunate that they can kind of apply for a grant and know that they have money for a set amount of time, a few years. I don't know how we give people a better sense of job security in academia. Maybe if job security isn't even a sure thing in industry, Perhaps it's just this illusion that's held by those in academia that somehow being in industry is safer or it's better. Or one might argue that even if the overall job security is comparable between the two, at least in industry, you're more likely to get a good salary and benefits. Yeah, I know these are, these are challenging questions. Anyway, we are running up on time and I want to finish with two more questions. The first is, if you were to go back in time, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? The key thing, maybe, is that you don't know that you want to finish your PhD until you want to finish your PhD. <laughs> I think I had a long period of time where I was like, oh, this is a great lifestyle. My schedule is flexible. Uh, I can study what I want. I can follow my curiosity. I really enjoy my work. I could keep doing this. And then at some point, I was like, no, I have to graduate. And I wish... I knew earlier that I would feel that way later. <laughs> yeah, I, I experienced the exact same thing. I, I used to think I could just be a graduate student forever. Um, and I, I guess I just ran out of things to do and I was like, well, time to move on now and pursue whatever this next step thing is. Okay, so the, the final question I wanna ask is just for fun. As a graduate student, how often did you travel for conferences? And in your professional opinion, what is the best airplane snack? Oh, good question. I get, unfortunately, I get to travel for a conference about once a summer and that's been a lot of fun. And then what's my favorite airplane snack? Not pretzels. They like to give you pretzels, but that's like, it's dry. And I kind of want, I think I would like fruit, fresh fruit. Ah, you made a healthy choice. I, I was pining for something like little cheese crackers or mustache cookies, or even, even one of those little $8 cheese snack plates that now that I think of it uh, really wouldn't fit a graduate student's budget. 
so yeah, yeah, fr fresh fruit is a really good answer. And I'm also vegetarian. Usually the veg vegetarian options aren't that great. <laughs> okay, so now that we've covered the very important topic of airplane snack choices, is there anything else that you want to share with us about your RSC story? You know, I think it's oftentimes people feel like if they're not doing this, the typical PhD role, they can feel self-conscious about it. But if you have the inclination to be an RSC, that's a valuable skill set. And I think you can find that people might look up to you for having those skills and you should be proud for having those interests. Amen. I really couldn't have said it better myself. Chris, I want to say thank you for joining us today. And I want to wish you the best of luck as you transition from academia to a new industry role. Thank you, Vanessa. It was a pleasure chatting with you.